Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Welcome to the Buker and Friends podcast, co-starring 10-year NBA center Ryan Hollins. Triple pump fakes, leads it, shot blocked by Ryan Hollins. Hollins sent that into the third row. Six rebounds and eight assists. Oh! Hollins climbs the stairs. Down the floor. Ryan Hollins, he is the high jumper. That's what I want to see. Give me some gunpowder and throw the hammer down. And now, here is your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. Welcome to another episode of Buecher and Hollins, subsidiary of Buecher and Friends, part of the United Wecast Network. I'm Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, read me on Bleacher Report, uh, hear me uh, not only here, but on radio.com and intercom terrestrial stations. You can follow me on Twitter at Rick Buecher. And on Instagram at Rick underscore Buker. He is Ryan Hollins, NBA vet. You can see him on a variety of platforms. Never know when you're going to pop up. You got to follow him on Instagram, though, because it is a great follow at Ryan Hollins and on Twitter at The Ryan Hollins. Uh, he's his own production company right now. I never know what I'm going to see, but I'm actually jealous that you're not bringing some of that content to the podcast. Like, I just saw you do a thing like the five things you do when you join a new team. That was an outstanding post. Really? Yes, that was good. That was like that's insidery. This is how if you're changing teams, NBA teams, it was it was good. It was dope and it was and it was on the money. It made a lot of sense. Make I'm friends glad with you stars. Like that. I felt like that really went over people's heads. I you know when you feel like you're appreciated or someone mentions like an old article, you yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you yeah. You poured your heart into it. Oh, yeah. Someone, okay. Yeah, all right. Okay. Thank you, Rick. I needed that one. Yeah. No, no, no. And I know that feeling. So, uh, no, I'm telling you. that I thought okay. that was good. I thought that was rich. All right. Number of things we want to get to. We are recording this. Uh, I just, I literally just got back from a weekend in Portland. Spent Thanksgiving with my family. And they took my son up to Portland for the weekend to catch up with the Bulls a little bit, the Blazers mostly. Wanted to catch up with Carmelo Anthony. Uh, got a chance to talk to Damian Lillard. and uh, But I want to start with Carmelo. And at some point in this podcast, I may play a little bit of a conversation I had with Carmelo. This, by the way... Ryan, this is the way that the NBA works now. That if you want to do a story with somebody, you have to go first see them and pitch them on doing the story. 
and then you come back at another time and you set then you set up a time to do a story and then you come back and do the story it it it's and and because the the idea for your story has to be vetted by the team the player's publicist his uh marketing manager uh his sister louise you, you name it everybody's got to nice. sign off on it it's become such a production it used to be like you just sh- you show up you go hey can I ask you a couple questions? Sure, man. What you got? <laughs> now, totally different story. Like so, like if the player is like, "Yeah, Rick, let's talk." Yeah, they still have a problem with it. Like they'll they'll dead it. No, 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 no. Well, it it depends. But right now, the access or the t- like guys are so scheduled or the media time is so limited that it's they've always got something planned. They're always. Like I'm going to, you know, guys are running their businesses. They got all kinds of stuff. Guys just seem to be scheduled to the max. Nobody's ever just hanging the way they once did. Or at least some of the guys, I mean, there are exceptions to every rule, but it just seems like a lot of the guys that I'm trying to get, maybe it's because I'm trying to get high profile guys. They all got, they got a ton of things going on. I mean, I'll just tell you this. I've been working on a number of stories and for the last, I don't know, three weeks I've been going to games I've been talking to people and it's been all to set up for the most part to set up the conversations interviews that I want to do to do the stories that I want to do used to be I just go I like fly someplace say hey I want to talk to so-and-so okay let's do it on Wednesday we'll do it after practice whatever now it's like oh he's already scheduled he's already got three things lined up now understandably with Carmelo because he's back and because it's such a great story and everybody's happy to see him, like everybody wants a piece of him. So I get that. Uh, And I will tell you this firsthand, Carmelo loves that everybody wants a piece of him right now. His his joy at being back in the league and playing again is palpable when you're around him. Here's Melo talking after a practice on Thanksgiving weekend. And... You can listen to what he's saying, but also listen to how he's saying it. There's a comfort and a casualness that we simply weren't hearing from Mello, or certainly I wasn't, the last time we saw him in Houston or even in Oklahoma City. Fitting into what they do and them figuring out how to take advantage of what you do. I think it's, it's me fitting in into what they do best, but also those guys being willing and saying, okay, look, we want to take advantage of, you know, kind of your skill set and what you can do and how you can help this team. Uh, so it was, a, it was a case of both. Yeah. I mean, both of us, all of us figuring it out yeah. as far as what I can bring to this team and, and my skill set along with what those guys already have going on. So. I feel like you're playing faster but you're comfortable playing faster. Like, yeah. It almost seemed like, okay, see, you're the, that's probably the better template that I have. Yeah, I mean, when you, when you sometimes when they say play faster, play faster, you can play faster, but you just, you ain't going nowhere, right? Right, 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 right. <laughs> But I think now it's, you know, playing faster, playing quicker, but playing smarter, uh, getting to your spots, knowing where your spots are going to be at, being comfortable in, in, in those spots. And I think for the most part, just the transparency that, that, that everybody has here, especially with me, and it was something that I was big on coming in, coming in here. Like, let's be transparent. Like, let me 
Tell me what you need from me. Tell me where you want me out on the court. Tell me what you, how you foresee this. And once I think we establish that, everything else kind of falls into play. I mean, you want me to play faster? I can play faster. You want me to play quicker? I'll play quicker. You just tell me, you know, what you want me to do. Like, I think that's, that's what's happening here. I, I went through a kind of a wave of, you know, when the situation happened in Houston, it was like, it happened so quick, it happened so fast, and I started questioning kind of myself, like, damn, why, what happened, what did I do wrong? Do I, can I still play, can I still do this? Like, you start to question yourself and doubt yourself. Uh, so it took me a while to get out of that mindset, a lot of work, a lot of mental work. Uh, but once I got out of it, I realized, look, a lot of things wasn't in my control from the beginning. Before I even went in there, a lot of things wasn't in my control. That situation was what it was before I even got in there, right? And it was, it was almost a trial period. You know, if it works, okay, cool. If it don't, then we, we move on. Like it was. Did you know that going in? I didn't know that going in. So I think that was the hardest part for me. I didn't, I didn't know that going in. Going in there, it was. We want you to come in. We want you to play. We want you to, you know, bring what you can bring. Bring what you bring to this game. And you know, so once I got past that mentally, I was like. Okay, this is you know it's business. It's business of basketball, and you know I, I I know what I can do. I get back in the court. I get back in the gym. I started playing in the summer, and playing with the playing with my colleagues. I, I think that's what kept me going. It's like being able to still go out there and play, and even though it's summertime, but be there and then let everybody see what I can do. See where I was at. See my body. See me playing. Uh, you know, I realized the game had got faster within you know over over the years. So I'm like. Is the game faster? How, you know, am I gonna still be able to do what I can do in this yeah. game? So you start questioning, you know, sure. there's so many questions, man. There wasn't no communication going there. It was just, when you come in and we figured out, okay, you get here, okay, first game, you come off the bench. It was like, you know, it wasn't no like, okay, we're gonna bring you off the bench and this is your role. Like it wasn't, it wasn't none of that. If that was communicated from the jump, then I think it probably would have been a, you know, a better turnout. But, I didn't even get a chance to like start finding my flow. Right? You got to understand emotionally and mentally. Like coming from New York, where you know I have the ball in my hands, everything is going through me, and that's been the way for 15 years. So to just go from that and say, here, you go be the third option, go be the fourth option. That was a difficult situation, right? Going to going to OKC. Asked what was different about joining the Blazers. This is what Melo said. I knew coming in the gate, you know, and that's something that we established on that phone call. It was like, I told him, I said, look, just be transparent with me. Like, I, I think I deserve that, you know, from the work that I put in, whether, you know, the type of guy I am, I am, the play I am, like, just respect me enough to just give me some transparency and we figure figured out. Like, if you want me to come in and, and do a specific thing, let me think about that. If I'm willing to accept that, then. And here is Melo sharing how he got back mentally to wanting to play in the league again. It was people, man. It, was, it, it, it took a village. <laughs> it took a village, man. It, you know, it was family and, you know, constantly, like, you know, honestly being around my son and, 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 and my AAU program, like being around those kids and those kids, like, you know, they real, they raw, they honest, and they, they, gonna, <laughs> they gonna keep you on point. And, you know, being around those guys and you, you understand what's what and, you know, what you have to do and what you need to do. And I always feel like I have to stay on point because these kids will tell me exactly what it is. Like, Melo, if you don't have it, if I don't have it no more, they would tell me. Everything today is isolation, right? It's, it's, yeah. Everything is a pick and roll, it's isolation. And that, that was just a stigma, like it was just like, 
why? Like, everybody plays isolation basketball. It's, it's, why when it comes to me, it's like, it's, it's times 100, right? It's, <laughs> when you come to me, it's times 100. But, I, you know, I accept that. And I think here now is just more about being efficient, you know, when I'm in those, when I'm in those situations. If I have it, make a move, go. You know, it's, you know, I always heard, oh, you hold the ball. I think everybody holds the ball. People dribble for 10, 12, 14 seconds on the shot clock. And it's, those are the things that was like, you know, I, I got tired of that, and which was making me, like, push me away from the game a little bit. He's, mm. he, he, he is, he, he reminds me a lot of Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose is so comfortable in his skin right now. Just being back, having a role being appreciated by the fan base and the team that he's with. It doesn't matter whether he's going to be an all-star or all-NBA or is he playing for a championship. It's like, man, that having been on the outside looking in, and maybe you could appreciate this a little bit, for those guys to get back in and play, man, they're just, God, they're just, hey, they, they won't say outright they took it for granted, but they don't have to because you can tell. Mm, absolutely that they recognize that absolutely i had i mean i had that feeling um that first summer that i was well first season that i was going into training camp like a week out without a team and i had like three teams reply to my agent and go yeah we'll probably bring them into camp like what i was like yo this is crazy like that door shut fast Yeah. yeah so uh this is what I will say about where Carmelo landed in Portland. And I didn't know how it was going to work from a basketball standpoint, like the role he was going to play, because they're missing bigs. They're missing Zach Collins. They're missing Yusuf Nurkic. Uh, the Friday night against the Bulls, uh, Hassan Whiteside had double-digit blocks. I think he had 10 blocks, said the franchise record. But you never know which Hassan you're going to get on any given night. They could certainly use another big. And, but that aside, you could not have found a better structure and culture for Carmelo because you have one of the premier selfless leaders in Damian Lillard at the head of that team. You have Terry Stotts, who's very underrated as a, as a coach. Not too high, not too low. Figures out a way to utilize you. It, he's, got, he's got some Rick Adelman in him, I would say. Finds, you, finds ways to put you in your sweet spot. And the fans there, if you give them an honest effort, they will love you to death. And being in that building and hearing them respond to Carmelo and Carmelo being able to hit a big three at that end of the game and hit his his temple with the with the three and having the crowd respond, I was like, dude, this guy's found heaven. He's found a slice of heaven. And I, and that's where for any other fan base who's saying, well, damn, like even Chicago, because Chicago could have technically had him, right? They let him go. Absolutely. He wouldn't be this mellow there. Like, it wouldn't be, he wouldn't be that there. Because you need that team leader. You need that experienced coach. And you need that fan base that's just looking at you and, and wants, to find, wants to find a way to appreciate you. 
has no expectations other than if you play hard for us, we're going to love you. And not, not every fan base is built like that. Portland is a very unique place, man. The, 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 just the, the affection that they have for anybody who oh, wears yeah. a Blazers jersey oh, yeah. is, you know, you're automatically family. You put that uniform on, they don't care what your reputation. Look, the Jailblazers. They love the Jailblazers. You know, no matter Sell what you arena. did. Sell out games. They love those guys. They love, they will, as long as you don't, you know, as long as you don't put their community down, then they're cool. And so I, I ran into, I ran into Mello and a number of times, I met him, I ran into him outside the arena and he was there with his son. Son was there for the Friday night game. He just, I'm just so happy for him and I don't know whether he planned it. I don't think he did. I think he finally had somebody who was willing to take a shot and answered the bell. But that is an ideal place for him. Basketball aside, they can figure that out. And I'm just, I told him when I, when I saw him before I left town today, how happy I was for him to, just to see him back in the league and how, and, and how happy I was to see him back in the league. So yeah, I saw um, I saw Melo a couple of weeks, well not weeks, probably obviously before he got back um, in the gym, and I just went over to him and I just wanted to tell him because it's kind of I, I could feel what he was going through and I just it was like, hey man, keep working, keep grinding. You need any help from me because I know there's just a there's a lot of mellow slander yeah going on at that time, and I could just see the frustration I, and I've been there, man, not knowing what tomorrow has to offer. Because you got to understand, within that span of Carmelo being out the NBA, and it seemed like an eternity, but it really ultimately wasn't that long. It was from Houston to begin. It hadn't even been a year. Right. It wasn't even a full every, season. Bro, every day it's it's literally sits over your head. Yeah. And he's the first guy pretty much picked up. And I told him, keep working. Um, keep being him. The one thing I did notice that was different, he was in shape. He was skinny. We gave each other a hug, and he was he was skinny, mellow. Um, but strategically, I played for Coach Stotts uh, in Dallas. He was he was one of the coaches on the staff, and I competed against him when he got the job uh, over with the Blazers. The one thing is this four man is in a in in a very intriguing spot where he's always going to get an open three mm-hmm. because you you have the five underneath that set a he'll set a you know kind of a pin down, and then there's a number of flares that the four set. Thing about Melo setting a flare, you can't switch Melo. Smell is going to roll you down into the post, and mm-hmm. he's going to abuse a shooting guard, a point guard, trying mm-hmm. to guard him. Mm-hmm. Now he's got that pop back spot up, spot up three because I got to commit two to Dame. Right. If I don't commit to two to Dame or to CJ, he's going to yep. get a wide open look. And when you do, that's the shot Melo can make. I'm not asking you to be something different. And, and, and Rick, I wonder how you feel about this. This is the first time he's played in a system in his entire time in the, in the NBA. Yeah. This is the first time he's actually played in the, hey, I drive here, I draw two, then I hit you, and your shot is going to be wide open, Melo, here. Right. Or you're going to get a mismatch, drop four, and no one is helping. Right. You're one-on-one. You, you ain't leaving Dame or CJ. You're one-on-one. Rick, am I wrong? Yeah. No, no, no. He is getting that, and you can tell how excited he is to immediately – attack when he's seeing that here's the other element that and people are going to think this is kind of uh loony but 
uh, or maybe not. But but when you know how physical Carmelo plays, Carmelo gets inside and he's going to change the ball and he's going to double pump and he's going to like he's he does a lot in the air before he lets it go. And in Portland, if there's the hint of contact with one of their players, that crowd goes nuts. They're booing the referees. And I'm telling you, yeah, they had that, yeah. That's not the same in every place. The Knicks, like in yeah. New York, they're not doing that. No. Uh, no Houston, no. like Houston, they're just used to James getting the call. And he wasn't even there long enough for, for that to even be a uh for us to really know what that would have been or could have been he told me what surprised him is he thought he was going to Houston because they already had it figured out how they wanted to use him and what he discovered was that it was like a tryout it was like a trial basis they were going it was a look see and he had no idea going there that that's what it was. That's why it caught him completely off guard when they just let him go. So yeah, that that Houston situation was a raw deal, and I don't know. I, I I've never seen anything like it. It's very hard, Rick, to say it wasn't personal between he and D'Antoni. Well, it's yes. very hard to say. It, and I know you wanted to say it was just business. It was. Is because of the time that he was let go, how early in the season, and the way it ruined his chances of going somewhere else. So, for instance, like when my career started, the demise of my career of the value just dropped. Doc Rivers killed me for one. He's killed several other players because I didn't play. So another team in the NBA is going to look and say, "This guy holds no value. He's not on our list. Not that he's a good player. That's just not in your rotation. He holds no value." When I was in Sacramento, not playing killed me, and I thought I was going to be the loyal guy um, and say, hey, man, I'll mentor these guys. I'll stay in it, whatever you need of me, and I should have been asking to be traded out. But when you don't kind of see the writing on the wall or you play the loyalty card, you could have been gone. When I was in Sacramento, um, they wanted me in Cleveland, and that's the year that LeBron goes to the finals and it's Tristan Thompson and Mozgov they end up. So I could have easily been Mozgov or been one of the bigs in that rotation. Right. So you, certain things you miss. Then in Memphis, it was a numbers game. I probably played the best basketball of my career. Um, and we fell into a situation where we had like seven guards and like eight bigs. So what are they going to do? They're going to let one of the bigs go because they need to go get a guard. Well, unfortunately, I missed the playoff roster in which I would have been playing yeah. heavy minutes there. In doing well, you know, and, and that's when you just chalk it up as it, this is bigger than me. Right. Okay. This is bigger than me. Accept it. Yeah, it's funny. You, I, I just finished reading, and this this book has been out for a while, Malcolm Gladwell's uh, Outliers. Mm. And we hear a lot of talk about outliers, but he, he really looked into it, and uh, I highly recommend the book. It's fascinating, and it'll give you a fascinating look into great athletes, uh, what 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 guys do in a variety of sports and he demonstrates we always think like the LeBron Jameses or the Bill Gates or whatever it's because they had an extraordinary amount of talent or they're extraordinarily 
smart or connections or whatever it might be, it takes a certain amount of work ethic. But the biggest elements to people being wildly successful is time and place. When you were born, when you were born, literally, time of the, the, the time of year you were born, the year you were born, and the opportunities that were presented to you because of where you grew up or who you were around, who, who happened to fall into your life, like if you go if you read the book and then you go back and you just think about your own life, you'll look at it and go, "Wow, these are the things that allowed me to reach the heights that I did, and these are the things that didn't happen that maybe didn't allow you to go as far as you thought you could." And it's it's uh, it's it's fascinating. So I would check that out. And to that end, like what you're talking about is simply that. It's like time and place time and place does it does it arrive for you and are you ready for it when it happens uh and by the way we were saying that it wasn't a full year yeah here's here's a little curiosity uh, uh, mellow played 12 games with the uh with the Houston Rockets last year he's now played exactly 12 games or excuse me I take that back he's played 6 games this season so um, not quite a full year, full season in terms of him getting back uh, into the league. But nonetheless, he said it like he didn't know if he 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 looked at it and thought it it might be over. And I think he, from an emotional standpoint, initially reacted. It was almost like his pride. You remember when he he was like, "I'm going to go into fashion. I'm like, I'm done with the game. I'm." I'm moving on to something else. Mm-hmm. That was pride talking. That wasn't like Kobe Bryant has done that. Kobe Bryant has flipped the switch because Kobe Bryant did everything he wanted to do. He knew physically he was done. Like his I'm, own merit. Yeah, his own merit. Exactly. I I'm making this choice. That was the thing with Melo. He wasn't making the choice, and now he gets a chance to to do it different. So again, he could. This is. I honestly, I can't. This is this is outliers time and place in terms of Mello had to go through what he went through because he's a different guy now. His his viewpoint on playing in the league, his attitude, his mentality is different. But then to be with the Blazers in that community, with that team, with Dame Dame and CJ and that group with Terry Stotts it's it is the ideal place for him cuz he's going to be cherished for what he can do and he's not going to be beaten over the head for what he can't do and they're going to push him to do, to to deliver as much as they can but it's it's uh i just think it's a it's this could end up being a really nice this story it already is it already is a nice story and i think there's going to be it's going to be even more fruitful all right one of the other things i talked about in the last hold up 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Podcast. Kyrie Irving and his, after going to Boston and the reaction of the Boston fans, uh, put out an Instagram post where it was very introspective, philosophical, but uh, I don't know. It sounded like someone who felt he was being persecuted and highly misunderstood and unfairly maligned. Uh, do you think that's a fair assessment of the True. of the post? True. And first of all, it, it, it was it was it was somewhat cryptic. Like he kind of knew what he was talking about, but it was things he referenced things that I don't know that he's ever talked about publicly. So you kind of got the hint that there was a lot going on behind the scenes, but not everybody quite knew. And you know, my take honestly. Ryan was, if if you have, so certainly celebrity has its downside. Social media has its downside. There are people out there that the trolls that just are vicious to be vicious. They're mean to be mean. They're, I don't know whether it's attention or uh, making somebody feel feel bad makes them feel good. I'm not sure, I'm not sure at the heart of what it is. But it comes with celebrity. It comes with the the uh, visibility that you have and the money that you make and all the it's it's the downside of being as visible as an NBA player is or any celebrity. And it just hits me wrong for Kyrie to complain about that because it's a reality, and you can either work on a solution and work with the league on a solution work with the the group I, I made the comparison he, he's a little bit like cap at this point for me Colin Kaepernick mm. in that if you want to play in the league if that's what you want to do if you love playing in the NBA you know that it comes with a downside at this point in his career that should not be a discovery for him in the same way that if Cap thinks that the NFL is going to allow him to approach, uh, to, to do whatever he wants as far as how he fights social justice, he's got to know the NFL is not going to give him that platform. If you want to play in the league, fine. And you want to do your, uh, your, your social work on the side, fine. Like, But you got to know NFL is not going to give that to you. They made that painfully clear, whether you like it or not. And I was good with him. If he was going to go on and say, all right, I'm either going to play by the NFL's rules or, you know what, screw the NFL. I'm not going to play in the NFL. I'm going to do my thing because this is a more important thing. And he had the support of Nike in doing it. I'm good with that. But when you make the indication that you want to play in the NFL and then you kind of switch up on them at the last second and then you go, oh, you guys are scared to, to, to sign me. Like, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't know what he was doing. Do you want to play or you don't want to play? Or did you want to make a statement? 
I'm confused. I'm not clear. And the same thing with Kyrie. What is it that you're battling here, Kyrie? If I don't, I can't be with you if I don't understand your message. And it's confused. And it's a a mixed message. If you're going to take a stand about something as important as, and I think the relationship between fans and players, I think that's an important thing. I think how we treat each other on social media is an important thing. You can't, you can't half-step that. you got to come correct, and you got to make sure that you're on the mark. Same with Colin. Like, my big issue is that by us being confused about what Colin is, does he want to play, not want to play, it allows people to dismiss the issues that he was bringing to the fore, which are very important issues. They are things that we should be talking about and taking seriously. But when we're, like... When when people are confused about what is it that you're trying to do and do you want to play or not play, it's easy for people who want to dismiss the those issues and say, oh, see, he's not about that or they're not important. You give them the ability to, to, to dismiss them. And I don't think they should be dismissed. I think they are really important. But in being able to convince people how important they are, you can't mess up. Because as soon as you mess up, they go, see, you don't know what you're doing. And then they don't have to pay attention. Then then that's their excuse for not paying attention to what you brought to their attention. And that's where that's where I'm with Kyrie. Kyrie's talking about, you know, he, he talked about mental health and, and, you know, the challenges of being a human being and being in the spotlight at the NBA. And I can appreciate all of that. I don't know that fans quite understand that, Pro athletes are human beings. And so I, I, that's an important issue to talk about. But when you just, you don't show up in Boston and the crowd reacts the way it does and now you're going to put an Instagram post out that's kind of cryptic. I, I, Ryan, I'm like, Kyrie, what are you doing? Like, I, I, what are you trying to, help me out here. Are you, what are you trying to accomplish? I, I don't know. I can... I can sympathize with what I think he's talking about and at the same time go, dude, you're going about it the wrong way. Well, I'll address uh, two things there. I think there's something to both sides when it comes to Kyrie. For one, why is everybody so mad or why the fans so mad at Kyrie? Kyrie is so talented that you believe there's a strong lack of effort. Yep. And he wants to be a leader, and then he kind of – it almost looks like he's lackadaisical. Or he, there go moments where you're like, yo, this dude doesn't care. And you're used to seeing, you know, Garnett, Pierce, Allen, Hollins, <laughs> you know, Bird, Mikhail, whatever. Those guys, like, just 110% give themselves – it doesn't feel like Kyrie gives himself to the game. And as a fan, hmm. especially a Boston fan, they're very knowledgeable about the sport – there's a lot of frustration that sets in because you see the talent and you know there's something that's not matching up. And another thing is, Kyrie, you asked for this because we're all pumped up and blown away when you said, I don't want to play with LeBron. LeBron took a lot of that scrutiny. Mm -hmm. And then you said, I want to be the guy. Mm -hmm. And now you want to be the guy or you don't want to be the guy because you you don't get to just not want to be the guy. Okay, when you created mutiny in the locker room, or, you know, you've got leadership skills that you need to work on, as do we all. 
that's where the frustration sets in um, from the fans. And then there's like zero tolerance. Now, right. as a former player, um, and even as a uh, a public figure, I, I don't even want to call myself, but I guess some people may view that in, in a certain sense. When you get scrutinized by people, it goes completely too far. And Rick, I don't think you've seen this, but I have, where every time you open up your social media, someone's calling you a, a, a blanking idiot. You know, oh. you're dumb. No, I've got, I go through that. Yeah. You, but I don't, I, get you, that. I don't think you've seen it to the degree where it's every day. I don't know, maybe you have. But I mean, when I'm talking about for weeks, for months, death threats, like people just, it goes too far yeah. and it weighs on you. And I, trust me, I've gone through the point where I've kind of got it and I hadn't. And I'm like, there's no big deal. Just block it. Just dis-. But when every time you look on your phone or every time you see something, it just gets wild, that eats at you. It's like you cross a certain threshold where someone doesn't really fully understand you, agree with you, and it goes, it goes too far. And it almost becomes the popular thing for people to complain about you and they forget you're a person. They forget, you forget, they honestly, they forget you're real. No, hey, dude. So back in, I think it was 2015, when they had Mello and Derrick Rose and Porzingis. I think Porzingis was a rookie, if I'm not mistaken. And Philly was still tanking. And what I appreciated about New York is that they were trying to compete. And so I can't even remember what the circumstance was, but I said, I trust the process, the Knicks process. Purposely losing is not, and I got I should know it by heart because I get it retweeted to me nonstop. Still, four years later, four years later, oh, wow. I still, anytime Philly beats New York, anytime Knicks take a bad loss, I get it I get it retweeted sent my way with a hashtag never forget or whatever and they don't even remember the circumstance in which I said it said it but I'm still people try to clown me on that comment not understanding that it was said in that situation in that particular season and I and honestly I still hold by it now have the Knicks you know, I, did I know that Phil was forcing them to play the triangle? Because that was like, if I'd known. So give me, hold on. So give me some context here. The Knicks lost, and you said trust the the process in New York. Essentially, no, no, like no, 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 no. They were. I think they were. They were actually at that time. They were like the fifth seed. Remember, they started out really strong when Derek first got there. They had Derek Mello, and Chris Stapps, and. They were, and I just, I thought, you know, and, and um, here was my point. They weren't trying to tank. They went and they got Derek. They were trying, they had Chris Stapps, but they were trying to win games with Chris Stapps right away. Rather than getting Chris Stapps and saying, okay, let's be really bad another year and get another top pick and build our team that way. As opposed to Philly, where it was four years of we're not even going to try to win, and I still I will still stand by it. Like if 
if the 76ers don't win a championship after four years of losing, I'm sorry, that's what you told me this was. You told me that this was your way to a championship. And as of right now, you haven't got past the second round. Which, by the way, before the whole tanking began, that's what you were. You got to the second round of the playoffs. You did it with a losing record. Nonetheless, you were a second-round playoff team. Losing four years purposely and putting that in your building and then having – and it's, it's amazing the job Brett Brown has done to be able to be the same coach and have them change their approach now. My hat's off to him on doing that. But I'm sorry. I look at the Boston Celtics. I look at the Indiana Pacers. They are right there neck and neck with you, Philadelphia. And did they lose for four years? The Utah Jazz and what they are. Did they lose purposely for four years? No. Did they lose? Yes. But were they? did they take the approach that Philadelphia did? No. So don't tell me that that is the way that you build a championship team because I haven't seen it. And my experience says, from all the people that I talk in the league and from the 20-plus years that I've seen watching, when you invite, when you say it's okay to lose... You've created a mentality in your building that's hard to erase. Because the game is so hard and the difference between teams is so minuscule that having everybody pulling on the rope all the time, believing in what you're about, is the biggest challenge. There's all sorts of things, whether it's money, fame, pride, ego, you name it. There's all sorts of things pulling at your team, trying to pull it apart, trying to get guys to think about something other than the sacrifice for the team. So when you add and go, hey, yeah, you know what? We're not, we're not trying to win. Like, <laughs> good luck. Like, the antiseptic to get that completely out of your building and say, okay, now we're trying to win it all. I, I, you know what? You can't tell me that's that Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons as much as they've evolved and the way they play you can't tell me that there isn't some integer there isn't some element there aren't some molecules in their DNA because they were part of an organization that didn't make it the be all and the end all to win a championship while they were there in the NBA that there's not a part of them that's like Hey, we're playing better. Hey, we're winning. Hey, things are good. We're okay. We're okay. I'll, I'll go to Miami and have a birthday party. I'll, you know, I'll have burger. I'll, I'll, I'll eat a cheeseburger right before the game. Like, that all-in mentality is not there. And you can't tell me that that's not the residue of winning's not the most important thing. Being the best we can possibly be is, and maybe that's the difference. I shouldn't say winning. Being the best you can possibly be is that that was introduced and that they haven't completely gotten rid of it yet. Yeah, no, I I agree. I said the exact same thing. Everyone that I talked to. Uh, had, had a, the same frustrations with you know the whole idea of the process, but Rick, I'm still confused. What was your tweet? You didn't really explain. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm looking it up. I'm looking it up right. 
I'm looking it up right now to give you so, the so exact. So people are harassing you to this to this day. Oh, about. to this day. Yeah, 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 yeah. You weren't aware of this? No, no, I'm late oh, to the party, it's, man. I mean, it's it's really it's kind of funny, but let me see. I bet you I can find it on my feed right now today, and I don't even need to scroll. There it is. There it is. It's about it's about five. Uh, it's about five posts from the top of my current feed. I wrote, I'm ready to trust the process, the Knicks process. Inducing young talent to lose year after year isn't a process, it's negligence. Hashtag 76ers. I wrote that November 21st, 2015. We are four years plus later. And I'm still having people, I guarantee you, people are retweeting it and and liking it at this stage. And they don't even know the context in which it was originally written. And nor do they care. It's like the freezing cold takes. Like half of the time those come back at you, they're not in the context of, yeah, you can look at it now and say, hey, that didn't happen or that's not true. But it doesn't take into account what was going on when you said it. It's a little bit like, uh, you know what? Like the Bulls. You go and look at everybody talking about the Bulls last summer. They were like, ooh, they're sneaky good. Like they're, they should be flirting with a playoff spot. Like everybody was on board with that. True. Right? Everybody was on True. board with that. And I still think their roster, I still think they have the talent. But this is the one thing you have a relatively new head coach. Uh, Jim Boylan took on, took over halfway through last year, has had his first training camp. And like for the first time, they're healthy. But now you got to figure out like how they want to play way faster, right? They want to shoot threes. I don't know if Markinen fits into that. You don't have a true point guard. You have Sadoransky, you have Chris Dunn, uh, and you have Kobe White. Two of those guys are scoring guards for sure. So Markkanen's going to get lost in the mix again. Uh, Wendell Carter Jr. is getting to play for a full run next to Markkanen. Well, Wendell Carter Jr. can get numbers. You don't even need to run a play for him. That dude can rebound. Sure. I love I love his game. Sure. So you have those expectations. You have that talent. But you don't really find out until you put it out there and you play this new style who fits it and who doesn't. And that's to me is what they're going through. So my point being, like, look, we all have prognostications. And I still stand. What I said at that time, I don't take that back. People are like, why have you deleted that tweet? I'm like, dude, I don't put things out that I don't believe in. I believed it when I said it then, and I believe it now. Purposely having young talent lose is not a process. It's negligence. You don't create that culture and say, we're going to win a championship out of it. It's it's so hard to create a championship culture that doing anything other than making that like the be-all, end-all, that's what we're aiming for. Every step that we take is towards winning a championship. And I know that there's the analytics people got it there. Yeah, but see, the only way you can do it if you can't get you know, you can't, 
sign free agents and Philadelphia is not a free agent destination is you have to draft it. You're right. You do. You have to draft it and you have to be shrewd in adding the pieces that you add, the veteran pieces that you add. But you can you can draft well and build championship teams. And you don't have to lose for four years to get five, six, seven lottery picks in order to do it. The Warriors didn't. That's true. Look where they picked their guys. And you can say, yeah, Steph was a lottery pick and Clay was a lottery pick. But they didn't purposely lose. And they got Draymond Green in the second round. And they created a culture that now attracts an Andre Iguodala and a Sean Livingston. And before that, they looked at, let's get a Jared Jack in here. Let's get Carl Landry in here to teach Steph and Clay how to win now. It's. I'll say this. I'll say this too, Rick, in harmony with that. Don't be surprised if Atlanta is a place that becomes similar to what Cleveland was with Kyrie, where a big-time free agent gets on the market and goes, I'll go play with Trey Young and John Collins. I could go win there. I, I, I can be the Iguodala or I can be the LeBron that, you know, kind of becomes available or Giannis as he as he hits free agency and goes, I could be pretty good in Atlanta. Right. So don't sleep on don't sleep on those situations. That's why I, I don't I don't hold the, the same pity party for the teams that don't kind of don't have enough. And then like, you got to understand like certain teams like Atlanta, you like some of those teams, like, dude, you have guys that are from your city that would love to play at home. Like LeBron, like Cleveland, you kind of got away with something there, you know, but like you got to play, get him at home, you know? Here's the other part. We'll leave, leave it at this. The 76ers, when, when they looked like they were threatening, what was it, last year, year before? Picking up Marco Bellinelli and Ersan Ilyasova. Those guys were key. Those guys were instrumental. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? J.J. Redick, instrumental to, <clears throat> to them being the playoff threat that they were. And you look at them now, and but it still comes back to this. Like, those guys were important for them to be as good as they were. But they're only going to be good as good as Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. And do those Joel. pieces fit together? Do you look at those two and say, I can picture them hoisting the Larry O'Brien trophy over everybody else in the league right now? Can you see them doing that over the Clippers? Can you see them doing it over the Lakers? Can you see them doing it? I mean, I could almost, ah, you know what? As much as I want to say the East is a mixed bag and they could potentially come out of the East, I still think there's a fatal flaw there. I don't think, I, whether it's Toronto or it's Milwaukee, some of Boston maybe even, I see them getting tripped up. I don't see them, I don't see them having what it takes to get to the finals. And if you can't, then what have you accomplished? You can tell me you're better and you can tell me you're better than the Knicks. You can tell me that. That's not, but that's not what the promise was. The promise was we're going to lose for four years. We're going to lose badly. And then we're going to build a championship team. And I said all that, that, that time, that's not how you build a championship team. 
All right. I agree. I'm glad you agree. That does it for this episode. And, let's and, leave, and, leave and, it there. And, let's leave it on a happy sorry, note. Donna, I'll, I'll throw this out real quick because I, I, I forget the list. All the mess ups that they had when it came to drafting guys and all the guys that 76ers passed up, they had more than enough chances. It was Giannis. Yeah. Was, and you didn't I'm, need the, You didn't need no, a top three pick to get those guys. Donovan Mitchell, yeah. Giannis Antetokounmpo. Those guys were there. Yeah. And you didn't have to you didn't have to win 16, 17, 19 games to be Porzingis, able to get those guys. I mean, I, think, I almost believe it was poor, there oh, there's a lot. I went through a list. There there was, there yeah. was a, they had more than enough chances. Dude. <laughs> it was a, and you think about the guys that they messed they messed up on, or they swung and missed on. Nerlens Noel, um Look, who's the big kid from Jaleel Okafor. Dario Saric, like the guys. Yeah, there's a couple of them. They, they the guys they, that they, they lost to get. Yeah, and what were were they replaced by? Surefire. Okay, we swung and missed, but we got this instead. I don't see it. I do not see it. All right, glad we agree with that. Uh, our Sixers fans are going to love listening to this podcast. Uh, in any event, that does it for this episode of Buker and Hollins. Subsidiary of Buker and Friends, part of the United WeCast Network. Uh, Please uh, rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And then we have a couple of books, autograph books, we'll give you your choice of. Uh, We'll have a drawing for either Derek Rose's I'll Show You book that just came out. Very raw, very honest. You'll get a look at a Derek Rose that maybe you weren't you didn't know existed or if you're interested in the whole China NBA relationship and how challenging that is uh, my book with Yao Ming uh, a life in two worlds will give you great insight into that and we will send you an autographed copy of that as well we'll give you your choice one or the other you guys simply have to rate and review the show and then screenshot that review or rating and send it to at Buker friends and you will be eligible for one of those prizes. All right, that does it. In the next podcast, uh, I will be joined by Will Blackman, and we will talk about, is Tom Brady, is he done? Is he washed? Is this king washed? And are the Patriots no longer the best team in the AFC, or is there another comeback in the making? We'll discuss all that in the next podcast. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.